Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Well, greetings from Wodonga Baptist Church, which is our, our home. We've lived there for more than a decade now, which is almost longer than we lived anywhere in our lives. Karen and Karen's here, my wife and Cassie, our daughter. Yes, no more. Listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You probably recognize it from Isaiah. We could paraphrase that this way. In the year of the Omicron pandemic, when five million people had already perished, when inflation was creeping back into the economy, when property prices went through the roof, when world power was shifting and the distant smell of war was in the air, when climate change was melting the ice caps and catastrophe was certain, I looked away from it all and saw God Almighty sitting in glory, holding our lives securely in his omnipotent hands, his angelic hosts surrounding him with unimaginable power. Is that a fair paraphrase, do you think? It is. I think it is. And it's true, but it's completely not what we're going to do this morning. I want to go in a very different direction and happily, well, not happily, but blessedly, we're going to go down very much the same path that Rob took us down in our communion message. When you hear the, the Bible reading that Eve is about to bring to us, you will think that you are at Woolworths and you're looking at hot cross buns on Boxing Day. You've, have you seen that already? Because we're having an Easter reading. It's not Easter, but our reading is from Easter. Eve, come and, uh, come and share with us. This reading is so common at Easter that we don't always see what's in it. That's why I want to, to look at it this morning. Thank you so much, Eve. Bear in mind now that the, the Jesus who has just met the disciples in such an extraordinary manner is the same God Almighty that we read about in Isaiah. It's the Lord Almighty thunderous, enormous, powerful, surpassing everything, and yet, and yet, read the story with me. We'll pick it up at verse 2 where it says, the evening meal was in progress. 
Such an ordinary setting, isn't it? The evening meal was in progress. We'll all be doing that later. At some point today, we'll have an evening meal in progress. And it's an extremely ordinary moment, isn't it? It's, it's just like so ordinary. And that's the point, in a way, because our life is lived very ordinarily. You've noticed it, I'm sure. The repetition of our life, the, the sort of circular nature of it, the tasks that are that are boring, sometimes exciting if you can spice them up by having a guest, but essentially it's just over and over and over. And we've got to remember that that's the space that God actually inhabits. The miraculous and the astounding are rare. 99% of our life, I can see you again, will be spent in, in very ordinary circumstances but that's where God meets us, in the ordinary moment. I'm convinced that that's true. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, we won't concentrate too much on Judas this morning, but don't forget he's there. He's there throughout this story as a counterpoint. Um, he's providing us, the writer, with a stark alternative to following Christ. And it's there in black and white for us all the way through this story. It's Peter that we will most want to follow today. That's the lesson that we're going to draw. In verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, that's, that's interesting. There's a time earlier in the gospel where Jesus says that only the father knows the time of the son's return, which gives you the sense that Jesus doesn't always know everything. Now, I know there's many opinions about that, but what I want to say is that at this point, Jesus knows everything. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. He is aware that he is omnipotent. He's aware that his home is not the earth that he stands on, but, but heaven that awaits him. He can, at this moment, do literally anything. He has authority for any outcome that he might choose. What would you do if you had all authority? A better way to look at it is what would you honestly do if you just had a little speckle of authority? A tiny bit. What would you use it for? When, we, when my kids were little, we used to, um, to see if our swimming pool was clean, clear. We used to get three or four hundreds and thousands, you know, those little sprinkles. And we'd drop them in off the edge of the pool and wait till they sat on the ground. And then if we could count them, then we reckoned the pool was perfectly clear, you see. We, we used to call it the sprinkle test. And if you can imagine doing that with a, you know, a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old, it was pretty good fun because it's really hard to count the sprinkles at the bottom of the swimming pool. Imagine if you just had one hundred and thousandth of God's authority and you could use it once. What would you do? What would you fix? It's a good question, I think. I'm not going to make any suggestions, but I do want you to answer it in your heart personally. The next word, the beginning of verse 4, is, is what I would title this message, and it's the word so. 
in my translation anyway, I know not in every translation. Jesus has all authority. Jesus can do absolutely anything at this point. He might be the only person ever that has had unlimited options. Right then, so, so, Jesus gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist. He methodically divests himself of all status. Now, we, we don't have servants in our world, not ones that we see at any rate. I sometimes think that we have lots of servants in the third world who sew our clothes up and make our devices and whatever, but we're not used to the concept of a servant. But in the ancient world, servants and slaves were abundant, and the distinction between one and the other was extremely clear. You were either the served or you were the server. Served on this side, the ser and dress was a, a principal marker of that. Dress in the ancient world was so important. If we, were, if we were back then, I would not be looking out on the sea of colour that I can see today because dyes themselves were incredibly expensive and so rare. A, a red dye had to be made by cracking up the shells of cochineal beetles and the purple, the most difficult of all, was got from things like clams on the seashore and boiled down and boiled down. And that's why those exotic colours were only worn by the richest people, the people in, in great authority had colour. Everybody else, drab, really drab. And so if I was the king addressing you, I might be dressed in some sort of colourful splendour, but you would be drab. Jesus divests himself. Not that he was wearing anything spectacular, but whatever he had, he takes off. That's a significant thing to do in itself, isn't it? And he takes on the appearance of a servant. After that, in verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I think that Jesus is confronting the disciples with the question that he had asked them back in Matthew chapter 16, when he said to them, who do you say that I am? Do you remember that? And Peter was the one, and we're looking at Peter's story this morning, Peter was the one who responded, you are the Messiah. The others had a bit of a go, but Peter nailed it down. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Jesus is moving around the group, washing the feet of each disciple in turn. I don't think you can possibly underestimate the, the shock of this because these 12 had been witnesses for three years to the most astonishing displays of power. Like, you know, astonishing, isn't it? Read the, read the Bible, read the Gospels and see how often it says that Jesus came to a place and healed all their sick. All their sick. If you think about it, nearly everybody's sick, really. 
unless you're about nine or ten, and even then. So Jesus went into a village, and goodness, who wouldn't have rolled up with a complaint? If you were living in the ancient world, you know, tennis elbow. <laughs> if you were living in the ancient world where there's no washing machine, there's nothing with electricity, it's just hard work all the time. Hands up the ancient world people with tennis elbow, not that they knew what tennis elbow was. But you know what I'm saying? And so time and again, Jesus was performing astonishing feats, raising people from the dead. You know it. The disciples had, we know, a picture of Jesus' leadership that was about authority and about power and about kingship. And they expected him to, to become a king in that world then and there to bring right justice, to defeat the Roman oppression and to bring Judah and Israel back into its fullness. So right then, what do you think the disciples are feeling when the king takes off his clothes, wraps himself in a towel and begins to do the most menial thing of washing people's feet? The earthquake last year, that, was that September roughly? Did you feel it here? You would have even more because it's, we were in Wodonga and you, you're closer. There's something very wrong about the earth wobbling, isn't there? Our, our uphill neighbour where we live in Wodonga is from New Zealand and they had many friends in uh, the area of the big earthquakes in 2011. And they came back telling us that, that the aftershocks were continual. There were hundreds of them. And it did such damage to people psychologically because the earth isn't really meant to move and it just kept moving and moving. And in this story, I just feel as though the earth has tilted under their feet. Suddenly nothing is the way it was meant to be. I wonder how, G how Judas felt when Jesus came and washed his feet. Judas, who had already made a commitment to, to, to deny Christ and to betray him. I don't think that Jesus washes Judas' feet because he's rubbing salt into the wound. He does it because he is showing Judas genuine grace and love. He comes to Peter and Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Why did Peter say that? Why did Peter say that? I mean, Jesus is working around the group. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? So Peter must feel as though he perhaps isn't going to get his feet washed. Why would Peter not want to get his feet washed? Could it be that he doesn't because in the back of his head is Jesus saying, you are the rock and on you I will build my church. Is that in the back of his head? Jesus replies to him, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Isn't that a beautiful verse, if you just take that out? You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. How many times have you felt overwhelmed by life, by circumstance, by whatever change, and then a little later, it all makes sense because it was actually God bringing you out of something. Yes, is that true? You do not understand now, but in a while you'll understand completely. I was reminded when I was reading this of a strange thing that occurred to me quite a few years ago now, 2010, which is rapidly retreating. Somebody in the congregation told me that they'd been baptised in 2006, 
2006 or four? Four. And I was about to, and I thought, oh, fantastic, a recent convert. But then it's not that recent, is it? 2000 sounds really recent, but it ain't. <laughs> but you're here. <laughs> this was um, in 2010, and I went to the Gibson Desert, where I've often been, because I lived there when I was 18. And I went to an Aboriginal community where I was welcome because I'd been there quite often. But I'd never been there with a wheelchair, which I had taken with me. And when the plane landed, it dropped me off, pulled the wheelchair out, opened it up, and there I was sitting on the runway and nothing happened. And the runway in this community, it's, it's called Warburton and it's halfway between Alice Springs and Kalgoorlie, if you can imagine, right in the middle there. The, the runway is just hot and dirty and, and I was just sitting there and nothing happened and then nothing else happened and the plane took off and nothing happened. And it was really awkward, you know, because there's no mobile phone or anything. It's just like, now what do we do? Eventually, the man who I had been in contact with, who was a good friend, Aboriginal man, finally arrived quite a, you know, half an hour, three quarters of an hour. And he, and he said something like, Oh, that aeroplane, you know, like you can imagine. But that was only the beginning of the, the situation because how do I put this? I needed him to put the wheelchair in the back of the ute for me, which he did. But then we, we had to go to the, the shop and there's only one shop and buy some stuff. And I needed him to push my wheelchair. Now, I just hate people pushing my wheelchair. I just offer that as a general suggestion this morning. If you're coming up behind me, just don't. <laughs> One morning, I was putting the wheelchair in, in our car and, and I used to do it by pulling on this rope with knots. It's really quite easy, but it looks maybe a bit hard. And this guy from our church, I actually don't still know who it was. He said, do you want a hand? It was behind me. And I said, no, thanks. And then he came over and he said, oh, well, I'm going to help you anyway. And he pushed Oh, my goodness. I, I just cannot abide anybody pushing my wheelchair. When, when I bought it, you, you have a look. It's got these handles that flop down like that, the, hook, the pushing handles. I paid extra for that. <laughs> Quite a bit extra, just so that they would... The problem, though, in this setting was that I was a white man and, I, and an Aboriginal man. I was asking him to push me, and that... I just hate to say it, that doesn't work in Central Australia to this day. The racial divide is alive and well, and I take no pleasure in saying it, because I know that I have been part of it. And he was just extremely embarrassed at the idea that I would ask him to push me. And I was extremely embarrassed because I realised his embarrassment. It was really awful. And... I can't sugarcoat it. It was just tough. But we did it. And it's a moment when I thought, what, what in the world is happening here? It, you know, sitting on the airfield for all that time, having expected to be welcomed and yeah, rah, rah, rah. God, what's... I've been planning this trip for months, talking to this chap, my friend, and it just seemed as though the whole thing was just horrible. An example of a time when I didn't realise now, how does it work? You do, you do, Jesus says, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And the whole episode 
brought my friend Livingston with his name, not his real name, because nobody could use his real name. You know how that happens in Aboriginal culture. We, we were able in subsequent days to meet at a level of brotherhood that we'd never felt before because of that experience, which rattled us, and we then needed to do it properly, talk it through. And it led to a, a wonderful, tremendous deepening of our friendship. Just a story, but you've got your own. There are moments where we would not know what was the best path for our life. Have you ever gone to pray and thought, I have no idea what to pray because I don't really know what ought to happen next? And in that moment, you don't have control and you don't know what to ask God, but God knows, God knows. And later on, so often, we know, not always. No, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Why is Peter reacting this way? Jesus is turning the world upside down, but Peter doesn't understand that yet. I don't think that Peter can see yet that the first will be last or that the king is a servant. Do you remember the story back in Matthew again where the mother of James and John comes and says to Jesus, can my son sit at your right and your left when you come into your glory? Do you remember that? It's the most audacious thing, isn't it? It's sort of just grossly unpleasant. And Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples didn't get that, did they? And the reason that the disciples were so indignant, the story says that the other ten, that includes Peter, were indignant with the woman it's not because, they're not indignant because they see the outrage of what she's asked. They're indignant because they think they ought to have an equal chance at that seat. That's what's upsetting them. I think that Peter, at the very edge of his consciousness while Jesus is washing his feet, is beginning to hear a tiny voice in the back of his head that's saying to him, your turn will come to wash somebody's feet. I don't think he sees it yet. Jesus answers Peter's objection by saying, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Sometimes we think that that's about atonement, about Jesus washing us clean and then us being in him. I don't really think it is. I think that it's about the first becoming the last, about the king becoming the servant. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Have you ever, you've read that? You ever wonder why he says that? I think, personally, that Peter is, is, is confronted by the humiliation of it all. Let's think about the word humiliation. I, it's so much easier to be humble than to do humble. True? So I can, I can look humble. I can't look very humble because I'm not very humble, but I can try. Okay. Down, downcast eyes, that would be good, wouldn't it? Pious. Anybody can look humble, but can we be humble? And what does being humble involve? Surely being humble will, will involve humiliation. 
We, want to, we, we don't like that word because we don't want to be humiliated. But if you are going to take the, the role of the lowest servant, how can you do that without humiliation? And Peter is beginning, I think, to get it. And he can see that humiliation is coming his way. And so he, he, he reacts and he wants to turn it into something else. He's saying, no, don't wash my feet. Wash all of me. God, wash all of me. He's turning it into a religious ritual or something. He's, try, he's struggling to escape what's actually happening, happening to him. I've actually washed a few feet. Have you? Have you done the, the foot washing thing in church at Easter maybe? Who's, who's ever been part of one? Oh yeah, quite a few. It's a thing that, that happens and I've done it and I've never really enjoyed it, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's quite humiliating, <laughs> to be honest. Whose feet are all that good? <laughs> Anybody here got really good feet? I didn't think so. Yeah, where? <laughs> oh, don't you occasionally you look at somebody's toenail and you wish you hadn't? <laughs> it's like, how can I get that out of my memory? <laughs> many, many years ago, uh, when I was 20, I worked for the Sydney City Mission, and that they're the group that have the little minibus and and find people living on the street, or they did that back then, maybe they're still there, and bring them into a, a men's shelter. And I worked in the men's shelter, and it was my job to wash people. And it's a whole lot different to washing people in church. I, I'm sad to say I haven't done that since I was 20. But I think we ought to ask ourselves, do we just turn this story into a sort of a religious thing? We wash people's feet occasionally in church and the danger is that that's it. But that isn't it. Let me, that is not it. That's not even close to it. That is so not it that I'm not sure that we should even do it. What we need to do and what Jesus calls us to do is the lowest task when that task presents for whomever that task is needed by, not good language right there, but you hear what I'm saying. And we ought to just snap ourselves out of the idea that this is part of the Easter story or, or part of a, a liturgy or part of a ritual. It's not. It's Jesus calling on us to lay our lives down the way he lays his life down. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And they all go, some of them go, and some of them go. And Peter's going, he's like a rabbit in the headlights. He's just like, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, Jesus says, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you should wash one another's feet. There it is. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, don't you for a minute ever think 
that you, the disciple, are greater than me, the teacher. And I offer that to you as a challenge this morning because I think we sometimes do. I think we sometimes allow all sorts of tricky little things to wander into our thing, our personality, so that we think that we're not actually the servant. I can tell you that uh, in ministry as a pastor, it's, that certainly happens. I think, oh, well, I've done my job. I've done a terrific sermon, so somebody else can do the washing up after, after morning tea. You know, that won't be my job. And it's so easy. It's so easy to build these things into our, into our psychology that, that allow us to opt out. But Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this morning we've seen the Christ, the Almighty, the beginning, of, the beginning and the end of all history and all things placed in the most ordinary setting. We watched the God of all nations volunteer for the worst job in the room. I think as Christians we, we talk too much about what we believe and too little about how we follow Christ. And this is how you follow him. And this morning, I hope you'll take this into the new year. Jesus says very clearly, do this. And personally, I want to be part of a doing church. Our pastor called us sometime last year to say something. We were all sitting in church. He said, say, say what you would like our church to be. And the first thing that came to my mind was a church that does more than it says. And I think that we have such potential to be amongst each other and amongst our community and amongst our family, carrying Christ's very being with us, not just trying to witness, not just trying to convert, but being Christ in the middle of the situation we find ourselves in daily. The moments will be there if you're ready to take them on yourself. Jesus says unequivocally to us, do this. Amen.